Welcome to the in-camera review podcast. Mike, Matt, Logan, we are lawyers talking about movies. We are going to talk about a movie, an actor, and a year, as we do every week on this show. The movie for the week is The Good Shepherd. The actor is Amy Adams. And the year is 2017, where The Shape of Water took home the shape of a gold Oscar. And the also-rans that year were Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and Three Billboards. I watched Good Shepherd, Nocturnal Animals. Great movie. I was able to see The Shape of Water for the first time, Call Me By Your Name, as well as Lady Bird. How is Lady Bird? It's directed by Greta Gerwig. A lot of buzz. It's her directorial debut, and she got nominated for Best Director. It's interesting. She does a good job. She's very skilled. She's going to do good things. Sir Ronan is no slouch either. Very impressive. There's a lot of young talent in this year. Timothy Chalamet from Call Me By Your Name and from Lady Bird. That guy was nominated for Best Actor. He's going places. And I also got in Zombieland 2. I'm a fan of Zombieland. I've only seen the first one. It was the next two hours of the first time. Of course. They were not. I don't know what to think about Jesse Eisenberg. The jury's out on that guy for me. I thought his acting skills when he was hitting the refresh button were were excellent. Logan, I don't know about you. Oh, I got to say, I have a new appreciation for Army Hammer now after watching Call Me By Your Name. That's for sure. I do want to go back and watch The Social Network just to see. He's he's a legit actor. I didn't think of him that way before, but he is. He's in Nocturnal Animals, too. Hmm. Matt, did you get in The Good Shepherd this week? I did, and I was glad I did. Did you immediately watch Tinker Tailors afterward to... Cleanse the palate. (laughs) (laughs) Got in The Good Shepherd. First time for Shape of Water. Arrival. Nocturnal Animals. American Hustle. And Doubt. Doubt's a fantastic movie. Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman are on a different level. Amy Adams is really, really good. But when you see her with those two, she's one rung down. We're going to get into it later, but a quick side note, season 12 of Ninjago and, and it finally is, is live on Netflix. And my son was pretty excited. I was excited too. And as I was watching it, I was like, something ain't right here. And I texted my friend Mike and said, (laughs) you know, I think they've got new writers on Ninjago. And within a half a second, his text was like, West Wing post Sorkin, noticeable difference. I was like, absolutely. What was the exact thing I was thinking of? This one week, this, I believe in a just God. I always seem to err on the side of democracy. This must be a nice place to raise a family. I never meant the time. Dead in less than a year. I love this country. We all do, sir. We all do. Matt Damon and Robert De Niro in The Good Shepherd from 2006. This is Robert De Niro's second feature film. It stars just a rock star cast. Matt Damon, Angelina Jolie, John Turturro, Alec Baldwin, Billy Crudup, William Hurt, Timothy Hutton, Lee Pace, Eddie Redmayne, and Michael Gambon. I think Billy Crudup is like the best in the whole movie. These are shitty cases. Listen, <laughs> you understand about this. These are shitty cases. <laughs> so we go from an all-star director to an all-star cast to an all-star writer, a guy named Eric Roth. You would know him because he won the Academy Award for Best Screenplay for Forrest Gump. He also wrote The Postman, not that piece of shit, Il Postino. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you talking about Il Postino? Is that what you're talking about? He wrote Munich, The Insider. The Insider, yeah. the Insider is tense drama. He was nominated for an Academy Award for writing The Insider, as was uh, Munich and Benjamin Button. And he also was nominated most recently in 2018 for writing A Star is Born. The movie was edited by a guy named Tariq Anwar. Fell asleep on the job. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's filmography includes the following movies. The Madness of King George, The Crucible, The Object of My Affection, Tea with Mussolini, American Beauty, Hmm. just waiting Hmm. for the comment there, (laughs) 
Revolutionary Road, The King's okay. Beach. That's a pretty fun catalog. Agreed. Uh, I mean, they're 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 big boy movies, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, he's top of the line editor. Uh, he's a studio editor. The writer is a studio guy too. Exactly. Here's where I'm going with this. This is a committee that built a horse. They ended up with a donkey. It's a jackass. Took everything in isolation, and you said. We're going to get the best editor that the studio's got. Correct. We're going to get the best writer, the, <laughs> you know, Bobby D. It's like, right. who do we have under contract? This movie was nominated for Best Art Direction. It lost to Pan's Labyrinth. Get our move. All right, so here's what this movie is about. Luckily, my summary is not 167 minutes long. When Edward Wilson, played by Matt Damon, is about five years old, his father is in line to be the next Secretary of the Navy. But after rumors that Edward's dad was disloyal to the United States, he tells his son to never lie, then shoots himself, and Edward picks up the suicide note. Years later, Edward becomes a bones man, secret society at Yale, and meets FBI agent Alec Baldwin. Baldwin asks Edward to spy on his poetry professor, played by Michael Gambon, which he does and exposes him as a German sympathizer. Meanwhile, he meets, impregnates, and then marries the sister of a fellow bonesman, but is sent off to work for the U.S. government for five years in Europe. Edward learns the spy craft from British OSS, including Billy Crudup, meets the Russian spy leader, Ulysses, and discovers his old poetry professor was actually a British spy himself. Edward returns home as a stranger to his wife and child and begins working at the beginnings of the organization that would become the CIA, including leading the unsuccessful Bay of Pig invasion. Edward realizes that the Cubans were tipped off because his now adult son, played by Eddie Redmayne, is having an affair with a woman who is secretly a Russian asset acting at the direction of Ulysses. The woman is thrown from an airplane to her death while pregnant with Redmayne's baby on the day she was supposed to marry him. It should have been great. Should have been great. It Could is been great. great. You have to right. pick it apart in order to see that it's great. Maybe that's maybe that's too much. I think that this is a movie that is very divisive. Got a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think that's exactly where it needs to be because I think this is a 50-50 movie. People can see this movie through different lenses. I didn't like it. Make the case, Matt. First time I, I watched this movie, I didn't like it. As you pointed out, it had a rock star cast, so my expectations were high. I probably wasn't as schooled as I am in like spy novels and like spy movies. I, at the time, I had not watched the movie Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy 78 times. I'm, I'm coming from it with a little bit more patience, and I also broke it up. My experience changed in watching it where it was a little bit more episodic. Technically, it's a sound film. There's some very good visuals, specifically it's a period piece. And I thought De Niro did a very good job in pointing out what it was like to, to live in that time. All the men in the bureaucracy going downtown with their trench coats on, right? He, he should have decided, is this A, a spy movie? Who's the mole? Let's smoke them out. That's a movie. Or the history of the CIA. He tried to do both. That's why it failed. On top of that, he added a layer to it about fathers lying to their sons and being absent. Didn't need to be done. It could have been an accent on, but not added to this saga of the the founding of the CIA. If he had just made this about smoking out the mole and his back and forth with Ulysses, it would have been a good movie, guys. Agreed. There's too much going on. That's why it's not a good movie. There's all these subplot lines that you're meant to follow, which is his relationship with his father and what that meant. The dramatic part about him finally reading the letter and burning it. But you have the but game just, with the it, Russian. That is the whole movie should have been about. And finding out who the leak was for the Bay of Pigs which ends up being his son, which is also tied into the Ulysses storyline. She has been an active asset of ours for some time until now. She loves your son. That scene is much more powerful if we know as much about Eddie Rainman's character as Matt Damon does, which should have been very little. But instead, we see this, this ending coming a mile away because we even see the scene where he heard him eavesdrop. Could you hear what we were talking about? No, I didn't hear anything. If something was heard, it has to stay in this room. If you would have just told the simple story, move all the stuff to the to the background that you either pick up or you don't. Right. You don't or... have to spoon feed it. This did not need to start at the beginning with him 
as this charismatic actor that is then goes into the bonesman and then he it really did not translate well you don't see that he's charismatic and then him start to lose that gradually he's charismatic then he's bonesman all of a sudden he's the most serious guy in the world here don't tell it in a linear fashion Agreed. bounce around. And I, I think that's the other major issue for this movie is if you tell this story in a linear fashion where you show him as a kid and you show him growing up, then you show him going to the Bonesman, then you show him going to this, then you show him playing the game with the Russian and having this like estranged wife and son. Maybe it's more suspenseful. Maybe it's more dramatic at the end. If you want to do a history of the CIA, take the game with Ulysses out of it take the mole out of it and take a broader view of it. How many stars do you give it, Matt? I give it four. I uh, see. I'm at, I'm at 2.5. What are you at, Logan? Uh, 2.5 to three. I want to love this movie for all the reasons that you said, Mike. I think it's a little miscast. As much as I love Damon and think he's, he just doesn't fit. He was too young. Right. He just doesn't mm-hmm. fit in that role. De Niro is not really the right person for that little spot that he plays either. It's such a small, minute role. Billy Crudup, I thought, was one of the best. William Hurt. Right. Pesci, his Mm -hmm. five-second role is, he's amazing. So good. So good. Alec Baldwin, so good. The character of George Smiley, played by Oldman, is very similar. He's just this bureaucratic, nothing surprises him, very reserved, keeps his thoughts to himself. It is genuine, it's gold-dust. But its topicality makes it suspect. Smiling is suspicious, Percy. This is the poor man's Tinker Taylor. One of the interesting things I read about this script is that it, it had been around since 1994. Francis Ford Coppola was apparently involved for Jesus. a little while before he got bored and moved on to something else. He's actually still listed, I think, as a producer, even he though. He was. Right. So this script had been around for a while. And when studio guy Eric gets this script, he's like, I got it. We're going to tell it non-linear. <laughs> and so starts his- with the father. He's disloyal, right? <laughs> and the whole thing drives the kid forward. <laughs> It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) One of the reasons why I did the summary the way that I did it was because I think that's how you should tell this story. Because jumping around is just trying to make something fancy out of something that's not. And don't beat us over the head with the father-son metaphors. We'll get it. Pick one of the plots and go for it. When they're putting a movie together, they're like, man, that looked great. That was a good shot. I mean, guys, you got to give that to him. There are good scenes in it. When you watch the movie, you can tell that in between takes, they're looking at each other and going, man, how many Oscars are we going to win? Oh, my God. They're just like <laughs> high-fiving like left and right. <laughs> I give it four, but I constructed it. A little from the father-son, a little from the CIA history, and a little from Chess Game with Ulysses. And and I put it together, I watched it over three days, and I have a four-star movie. And you know I'm a sucker for spy movies? You can nitpick a movie, Matt, and you're not. Is it because it's a spy category? Is it because it's De Niro? Because I was so hard on it for a decade before this. (laughs) I really was. And specifically, what comes to mind is, I I thought Angelina Jolie bombed this movie. Really, I thought she was fine in it. I thought she was... Yeah. Not not bad at all. Not bad at like, all. Actually good, I thought. thought maybe Eddie Remain, Academy Award winner, was a little over the top. I See, also didn't think that they needed to be in the movie at all. I completely agree with that. They had no business being in the movie as much as they did. They should have been pushed to the background. My, my problem with Angelina Jolie is I was sort of making fun of it in the summary, which is, hey, how are you? Let's say you love me. Let's have a baby. And then, Let's make a baby. Know. For a nearly three-hour movie, one would think that they could spend a little more time <laughs> on that. That, ha- that little sequence happens in like two and a half minutes in the movie where they meet, hook up, and have a baby. This, that's a very good point, Logan, because I think that was done intentionally. This guy sacrificed his love for his girlfriend, the deaf woman, do the right thing the honorable thing with Angelina Jolie, even though he didn't love her. The same thing that he kept going down this path with the CIA, even though he it was not his passion. The story, the portrait of, of the protagonist that they wanted to tell, it's just like layer five. All these things add up. I like that story. I like the story of a guy who is trying to do the honorable thing, but is just so passionless about it. That's a good tragic story to tell. 
So one of the things about this movie that was just so bad, democracy, I'm a sucker for it. And maybe this is a really nice house. I'm going to be dead in a year. I love this country. See you later. <laughs> we all love this country, sir. It's just, they were just piling content on top of each other. They really were. And whether it's bad dialogue, you're, you're pushing stuff from the, from into the foreground that should be in the background. You're trying to give screen time to all the these people. Maybe just one scene with Alec Baldwin's enough. Totally agree. I thought he was great in it though. I thought he was great great in it. And maybe just one scene with Michael Gambon. Maybe just one scene with William Hurt. You know, it's 167 minutes. At some point, we got to cut this thing off. Question I wanted to ask you guys. How do you compare this movie to a Bronx Tale? It's better. Really? The Good Shepherd is better? No. In my opinion. Uh, I, I love the Bronx Tale. I think it's by head and shoulders above this. Bronx Tale knows what it is. It's got direction. It's much tighter. That's good. You're right. um, I want to love the Good Shepherd. It's just there's just too much going on. It's too long. There's just too many issues with it. I'm sub three. What was the best thing about the Good Shepherd? The game between him and Ulysses. There's a scene where they sit down and they just have like a, a conversation. Maybe you shouldn't live in Russia. We all have our weaknesses. What is yours? I had heard you were silent. Made of stone, they said. What is the expression? The silence is deafening. You're going to be a formidable adversary, mother. I enjoy the, I'm a patriot, I gotta do the right thing. The cat and mouse game where the cat and the mouse sit down and have a conversation about how they're playing the game. I thought that was a great scene. That's and, very smiley. That's a very right, smiley right, scene. It's very smiley. And he, mm-hmm. the, Ulysses is like talking and, and Damon right. just doesn't respond. What is the best thing for you about this movie? It's Matt Damon. I think it's amazing. His performance is restrained. Plays the, the character so tight and there is not a lot there for him to work with. If you are not saying dialogue and yet you are communicating as an actor through a movie, that's very impressive. It's not the best exemplar of his work, but I do think that the way he just looks back at Ulysses and doesn't say anything for almost a silent movie role, he played it pitch perfect. The scene where he had it out with Angelina Jolie and he, she called him selfish and he said, I married you because of him. His silence up until that moment was, was a huge payoff. Mike, I agree with you. It, it was a great performance by Damon. The only reason why it's not the best exemplar for me is because Gary Oldman played the same character so much better. The good guys don't win in this movie. It's a, it's a, it's a movie about the good guys losing and they learn from those mistakes and they create the CIA. I like to see the good guys win. It left a bad taste in my mouth that Ulysses got the best of them. All we did was shoot the fake deaf woman. There's a lot of success that the CIA has had. We know nothing about it because it's all classified. They don't tell us. One of the reasons why I played Wind of Change at the top by the Scorpions. Did the CIA really write that song? Patrick Radenkeefe, our boy who wrote Say Nothing. Say Nothing. He does this deep dive in this great podcast called Wind of Change. Was that song written by the CIA as a way to win the damn Cold War? I don't know. They won't tell you. But Ulysses is, you know, sneaking the damn stranger in our house multiple times and we're just right, like, like 20 times this is like every half hour is like i let us i let another stranger get the strangers out to your point mike i think if you're doing the history lesson we learned a lot from our mistakes hopefully we're way better now than we than we were but again I, you know if you watch zero dark 30 and the 9-11 stuff there they admittedly were way behind and they didn't know what to do in the middle east they didn't know how this was going to work and and how to get intel and things like that so well that's the other thing i didn't like about this movie as far as when when i saw it and it still resonated with me is we're living through the failure of the cia in 2006 about weapons of mass destruction and george Tenet's cia and we're going back in time we're telling the story about how this failed organization started with failures. We forget how much Hollywood hated on George W. Bush <laughs> during that time of year. Big time. Like every movie between 2000 and 2008 was like a subtle like jab at W. and, and Cheney. Oliver Stone. Alexander. So, Oliver Alexander. Yeah. Alexander. Avatar. <laughs> like, I mean, they, they, were, they were talking about shock, shock and awe on Avatar. All right, so when we come back, we're going to be talking about Amy Adams.
You look beautiful, by the way. Don't look at me. All right? Don't look at my legs. Don't look at my hair. Don't smell my hair. Don't ask me how I am. Don't talk to me outside of these roles because we're done. Just stand still. Get under the umbrella. Come on. Just Carmine wants Rosalind to come. I don't care. You weren't listening. I don't care if Rosalind comes. Just do your job, okay? You're nothing to me until you're everything. Amy Adams and Christian Bale in a scene from American Hustle in 2014. That performance earned her a nomination for Best Actress. She did not win that year, and she did not win any of the other years that she has been nominated. Those years and movies include 2006's June Bug, 2009's Doubt, 2011's The Fighter, The Master in 2013, and Vice in 2019. All of those Best Supporting Actress nominations She has had a very long and successful career. She made her debut in 1999 with Drop Dead Gorgeous, a very funny, very good, uh, in the line of the Christopher Guest type mockumentary movies um, about a beauty pageant. She's great in it. I mean, that movie was kind of like a sleeper cult classic hit. She didn't really have her coming out party until she did Catch Me If You Can. Steven Spielberg later on gave an interview about that and said that he he was like, you know, just sitting there and saying, well, I've, I've now got to update my list of people who Steven Spielberg has made a star. Right. You know, let's add her to the list. And then it didn't happen. And it really surprised him. Enchanted was her coming out party. This was the first movie that we all saw her in. She played like a high school student in Catch Me If You Can. And her and Leo had some good chemistry, in, in my opinion. I thought they were great together. You know, Catch Me If You Can's 2002, and she does Enchanted in 2007. She did earn herself an Academy Award nomination for Junebug, but much like uh, movies like Raging Bull that earn Academy Award nominations that no one sees. Never even heard of that movie. No one cares if they don't see the movie. Raging Bull? What is that? Is that about like a bullfight or something? (laughs) Is it Ferdinand? It's uh, Luke Perry's in it. Oh, oh eight eight, yeah, I know that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Writing it for eight seconds. Okay, cool. And Junebug. So, you know, she had a rough go of it in the beginning, and, you know, she got a lot of roles, but she didn't break through, and I think she wanted to be a serious actor and be taken as one. It didn't happen for her, and she many times in her career thought about quitting. Instead of quitting, she went back and did acting classes. She's She's a worker. She put the time and effort into nobody gave her this career. She went out and earned it, and she auditioned, and she just did it the old-fashioned way. She had ups and downs throughout her career. I mean, she gets nominated for Best Actress for American Hustle, and she's she's done movies since then that have not been all that great. She's a, I think it's a mixed bag career. I think she's a very workmanlike, above average. She's a journeyman, for sure. I do not want this segment to turn into the Nocturnal Animals segment. Just two quick things about that movie. Michael Shannon steals the show. <laughs> right. Every single scene he's in, he brings it. Michael Shannon was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for that. Yeah. The kid who plays the bad guy? Aaron Taylor Johnson. He won the, the Golden Globe. Both of those guys steal the show. Hall is very good in the Steady movie. Steady Eddie, baby. Love that guy. <laughs> Put him in anything. She's supposed to get the Best Actress nomination for that movie, but she doesn't deserve one. She is supposed to be acting while she's reading the story. Got a whole lot of screen time, a a big opportunity to tell the audience how this makes her feel that she's reading this very disturbing story that is written by her ex-husband from 20 years ago. All we see is her just lounging around, closing the pages and just going, oh, that was her opportunity to actually do something, which is why I would say she's very workmanlike. There's nothing wrong with her performance. She turns in mediocre to above average performances. She's a double-double journeyman in the NBA. She's going to rip down 12 rebounds, right, and put up put up 15 points. You want that person on your team. You, you, you want Amy Adams in your movies. 
Amy Adams, because of her work ethic, is probably my favorite because she puts in these types of gritty roles. She had to challenge herself to go from Catch Me If You Can to Enchanted to the HBO series, Sharp Objects, where she cuts herself all over her body and she plays an alcoholic. And that was a dark role, man. And she played that off convincingly, in my opinion. I was impressed. I've got a thing for double-double guys in the NBA, so that's she's my fave. Logan, but, she's your pick. What do you think? To Matt's point, I think you, she's somebody that you want in, her, in your movie because she's going to bring a very good performance. I don't think she's at an elite level yet, but I think she's right on the cusp. She's got six nominations. She definitely deserves one. I think she's going to get one. Arrival, American Hustle, The Fighter, Doubt, Vice. She's also done a bunch of rom-com. To your point, Mike, she she's not in like a franchise yet. She did go for that Aquaman money, Logan. Lois she Lane. Just, she just picked the shitty movies to do right. it on, which yeah, are yeah, the yeah. which are the Zack Snyder Superman movies. Yeah, somebody's got to get that girl a comic book and say, hey, it's Marvel, not DC, ladies. <laughs> or, or, or if you're going to go DC, you're going to Batman town, right? I mean, right. if Paul Thomas Anderson, David O. Russell, and the French-Canadian guy Villeneuve, yeah. it, it are going to put me in their movies, in these ensemble casts, and if I'm known as just this solid piece of an ensemble cast that gets a highlight now and then, I'm happy because you know right. what? I had to go back to, to acting class after I was in a Steven Spielberg movie. These great directors and these great other actors are going to elevate my performances, which I think is what happens in American Hustle when she's with Bale. He wasn't necessarily in good shape and he had this comb over that was rather elaborate. The scenes with the two of them are fantastic. It is narrated the whole time by multiple people. And and I know I'm undercutting myself on Goodfellas, but I don't yeah, care. You just did. You just did. Um, but it, the narration is what completely unnecessary in American Hustle. They're trying to tell the story, and they just don't need to do what they're doing. American Hustle has all this narration. Bradley Cooper drags that movie down. I've said that multiple times. He's just not believe. He's supposed to be. It's supposed to be an Italian. There's, he's playing an Italian guy, and he cannot pull it off. It's like me playing an Italian. It's not going to fly. It's just, it can't fly. The, Keanu Reeves plays a better FBI than <laughs> Cooper does in that movie. That's a, that's a fair point. The other the other thing is, so it, it's about the ab scam. It's kind of a convoluted story, which is, I think, why they use narr- narration for a lot of it to try to get you there. But I think they could have done it without it, and I think they could have made it a little bit simpler and and more basic for the storyline, right? Like, we've talked about a lot of really great movies where it's like, hey, this is pretty simple, right? Like, this is the basic plot, very simple, and it really works. I think they could have done that with that movie. Christian Bale is, that guy's amazing. He just, he transports you. You don't even know that's him for the movie. Agreed. He is so reserved. Like when Bradley Cooper, you know, attacks him and like pushes his wig off and stuff like that. This is what I do. I'm not trying to bother you. That's what I would do. You should have done that. How's that? You bothered now? All right, don't make a thing of it. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't like that. The way he plays his character is is just spot on. But um, the reason why I, I like that movie is because of Amy Adams. If you were to ask me yeah, who the lead really of that movie is... I would say it was Amy Adams. She brings the whole movie together. I mean, she was nominated for Best Actress for that. And I, and to me, I just don't understand why she was nominated for that. Because I, I didn't find anything about her performance to be anything other than, as I've said, workmanlike and above average performance. Especially when you put her in those scenes. Like the, one of the reasons why I played that scene that's meant to shine her, the, the scene at, at the airport. And Christian Bale is just meant to be the background character. He's better than she is. And all he's doing is telling her to stand under her umbrella because he's so convincing and so good. And she's doing this, like, call it a British accent, but it's sort of weird. And then she's got this weird sexy scene where she tries to seduce Bradley Cooper. Part of the problem is she's she's dragged down by Bradley Cooper. I think they might drag each other down. What do you think, Matt? I like them both. I'm on record of saying I like them both. (laughs) 
there's a lot of unfair criticism going along, going around. Mike, I'm going to tell you, I really agree with your assessment of Amy Adams as a, as a worker. Aaron Taylor Johnson's catalog. I see that he was in Savages, the, the Oliver Stone movie starring, um, Taylor Kitsch and Blake Lively. Blake Lively's a waste face. Mr. Six Inches over here. She's good in that role, actually. Stop. Stop. Oh my gosh. She played someone from Southie. Give her, give her the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, and the Academy Award. Put put a Southie accent on a mediocre actress. Not Southie. And there we go. Not Southie for the 500th time, not Southie. That's like telling, telling you that you're from Wrigleyville. I mean, it's all the same. It's all Chicago, right? Aren't you from Worcester? getting personal tonight on the icr podcast i'm going to look now if you had said bridgeport but you didn't uh if you had said bridgeport i would have said you had a little bit more of a compelling argument i do have one uh compliment to pay to amy adams and that is uh what is i think the best performance of her career which is as lynn cheney in the movie vice she does a good job playing a real character something that workmanlike actors excel at because they put the time to understand who their character is. And it's not, it's not a question. They don't have to find themselves. They just get to play the character as they are in the public record. And as they are in the books or, or whatever it is, it's not debated. And to me, it echoed a really good performance that she had that didn't get nominated and didn't get a whole lot of acclaim, but I watched it because it was a Christopher Waltz movie. Um, and it's called Big Eyes, uh, which came out in 2014, which was directed by Tim Burton, uh, which is a true story about um, this husband and wife artistic team where it exposes a lot of uh, gender bias and sexism. Amy Adams plays the real artist, but her husband to claim that, that he is the one who actually paints the pictures so that he can sell them. And there's actually like a, a, an actual real lawsuit. I had a couple and then I made some guy believe I painted your big eyes. What? It was a misunderstanding. And then I didn't want to jinx the sale. In the middle of trial, the judge orders both of them to paint a painting. And he can't do it, and she can. And so she is basically vindicating herself as the big eyes artist. She's really good in that. But like I said, I think it's almost like, Matt, when you're critical of sort of the impersonation as like not necessarily a lower form of of the art, but at the same time, not an elite. You've got me there where I will, in my subjective critique, mark down. And I think for her in both of those movies, in both Big Eyes and in Vice, I think she plays characters that are really easy for her to play for her particular set of skills. So Mike, you don't think she's going to get there? I don't. I, I, I think as far as like a you know getting the statue, and that's and that's actually where I was going with that, and, uh, Logan, is that I think that she peaked with doing these characters like in Vice and Big Eyes, where the best she's going to be able to do is to carry either a supporting actress performance like she did in Doubt or The Master, or where she's elevated by like the best actors in modern history, or she does these these very uh, workmanlike performances where the character is is so two-dimensional because they're real people and so she can she can play them with ease i just don't see her being able to reach that upper echelon level uh with her set of skills i don't think she'll get a best lead maybe in her autumn years right i think she will get a best supporting within the next 10 years in an in in an ensemble cast just a quick look at this nocturnal animal session we're having how about this Tom Ford? Guy makes yeah. cologne and just like made two movies as like a hobby, both four-star movies. He makes the 2009 single man and you, he gets You're a big fan. I'm a huge fan and he and he gets widespread critical acclaim and he gets some good reviews and it and uh, for nocturnal animals and and you know Michael Shannon gets uh gets an academy uh award nod. Um but that's it. I think he was really expecting to have that movie carried by this this dichotomy of the character that Amy Adams was going to play that was going to be very complex between you're this debutante rich person, second generation money person who has who is very valueless, or you're this person who wants to date like Jake Gyllenhaal and be a permanent grad student bourgeois. I I really wanted to be this person that you thought I was. I really did, but I'm just not that person. I'm, I'm cynical. I'm pragmatic. No, look, no I no, am. I'm a realist. You're afraid. No, I'm not afraid. Right. We've been through this so many times before. Edward, I'm not scared. Right. I'm unhappy. It doesn't work. 
the the most compelling thing in the movie is you're just like, I just want to get her off the screen so I can get back to finding out what Michael Shannon and Jake Jones <laughs> were doing out in West Texas. But if Michael Shannon wasn't as good, it might have worked. So, Actually, I, I disagree. I thought it did work. I, I was attached to that storyline. Well, speaking of Michael Shannon, let's get to this next segment, Shape of Water, and talk about more Michael Shannon. Only Mike does the segue logo. <laughs> <laughs> sound like him what does that make me all that I am all that I've ever been brought me here to him see you're saying him it's a him now it's a you just hit me Eliza let go of me I'm looking I'm looking you've never hit me Richard Jenkins and Sally Hawkins in 2017's Best Picture winner, The Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro. You would know him from the Hobbit films and Pan's Labyrinth. The movie, in addition to those two, also stars Michael Shannon, Michael Stuhlbarg, and Octavia Spencer. The movie has a Rotten Tomato score of 92%, and it is about a mute cleaning woman who strikes up a relationship with an amphibious human-like creature, and she breaks him out of a secret government facility to set him free, but in the process realizes that she is actually an amphibious human-like creature. And that's the movie. It won four Academy Awards. It was nominated for 13. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Score, Best Production Design. Sally Hawkins was nominated for Best Actress. She, of course, lost to Frances McDormand for three billboards. Richard Jenkins, fantastic. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Octavia Spencer was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She did a really good job. I enjoy her as an actress. Um, was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Lost to Get Out by Jordan Peele. Mike, why do you think Shape of Water won? Because I, I have a theory as to why it won. Shape of Water is really interesting because this is a mute woman who has three lines where she's hallucinating a singing scene, and she manages to bring it. Richard Jenkins is great. Spencer is great. Michael Shannon. He's fantastic. You know, the weakness of the movie is that it's a familiar trope of and a cliche of defenseless animal-like creature. It tries to do more than that. It tries to elevate itself above those things through some really, really great, a really great score and some music and some very quiet, understated performances. I mean, the fish, the fish guy doesn't talk. She doesn't talk. And so you gotta, you gotta do something with these people and they gotta, they gotta do more than just eat hard-boiled eggs together to keep the audience engaged. And they managed to do that oh, and no. push it as far as they can go, which is she's explaining to Octavia Spencer that she had sex with the fish man. Are you talking about the naked bathroom scene? I'm talking about the naked bathroom scene because it has to be discussed. But why is the woman having sex with the, with the fish? I know. And why are we doing this? Is this just, we're just exploring this and we're going to see where it goes. And in the end, she's actually a fish. And so it's just a movie about two fish people having sex. That's fine. It wasn't all that profound of a movie. It is a very gifted director who can take whatever subject and he can make it visually stimulating and engaging because he's just that talented. People could project what they wanted to see into this movie. And, and this movie deals with a lot of racism and a lot of bigotry. Octavia Spencer uh, and, and other uh, black actors in the movie are openly discriminated against. Richard Jenkins plays a closeted gay person that is uh, rejected by the racist guy who works at the Southern Pie Place. There's a lot going on that anybody who's watching it could say, this movie stands for this, for these types of experiences and project it on there. And so people can identify with it. And it's beautiful to watch because it's Guillermo del Toro. In my opinion, at the end of the day, it's a really mediocre movie. I, I agree. I, I think it's generally mediocre, maybe a little bit above mediocre. I think it wins. Hollywood loves nostalgia Hollywood. And the Aquaman 
is the creature from the Black Lagoon, which is a famous movie and nostalgia. You also have uh, Sally Hawkins and Richard Jenkins watching old Hollywood movies, the classics, and they show the Aquaman, the classics. The scene with Sally Hawkins where she comes out of her, par- her apartment and the music's playing and she does the little tap dance. That is a very like old school, to me, 50s or 60s type movie sequence where she she's doing her the feet where the the music is moving i completely agree i think it's a mediocre movie that del toro to your point has people who don't talk elevated at high levels it's visually appealing and then you throw in all this nostalgic stuff i think that's why it brings home the gold here's a question without the racism it with found within the script of shape of water and let's just assume everybody in it is a white person. And the story is about the fish man, but with the overt tone that it has that, that it's about differences among people. Does that movie get put on the nominee list under the new criteria? When you watch the movie, the overt racism is like they just added it on. To, to make the point drive home. Richard Jenkins is gay. He says, well, we need to go to the pie place that happens to be a Southern pie place and get waited on by the Southern person who not only rejects Richard Jenkins' advances, but also in the middle of rejecting them, stands up to go over and tell the black people who are coming into the restaurant that they... That they can't even come in. That is a really great question because... It's to me when I was watching that, it felt very forced that they were pushing that into the movie to try to throw that into the themes and force the force the narrative of this is actually about racism and bigotry. Studio was like, maybe they won't get that the fish man is supposed to be like any outsider. So let's just show people what happened to gay and black people and then they will make the link themselves to fish man. And I think this is what happens when you start to have committees on how overtly diverse your themes have to be in your movies to get nominated for Best Picture. But the reason why I think it's such an excellent question that you asked, Matt, is, well, who's to say what themes meet their criteria and what don't? Because if you take out the overt racism and overt bigotry in the movie, does it still meet their criteria? I would argue, yes, it's just because... It's putting those things into the fish man and the, and the fish woman who doesn't know she's a fish woman identity within yourself that you don't know that you discover. To me, that's meeting the goals of what the Academy says they're trying to do. But it's like, well, we got to make sure that they get it. So we got to throw in the pie scene. We got to throw in the. So I think we're going to start seeing two things. One, at least one forced scene in, in what is re- a, a regular movie of of something to fit into the criteria, right? Two, you're going to see some creative marshalling evidence to prove that your your point that that your film belongs into the best picture. I think it's going to drag the whole thing down, quite frankly. I think a lot of it, I think I think more of it will be behind the scenes, Logan. I think like like here's a question, does Das Weiss Bond get into the criteria? I mean, like I love a, Das Weiss Bond. Das Weiss Bond, man. I mean, Mike, just give a a thumbnail sketch, Mike. It's a black and white movie of the interwar period in Germany. Kids in this small town in Germany that are really evil and doing bad things to a lot of people. And it foreshadows the fact that these are the people who become the Nazis that torture Jews. Right. So does that movie make it into best picture criterion? That's a great question because... If you're if you're going to say that that movie deals with the themes of the Holocaust and cruelty towards uh, minorities, if you want to say that that's what that movie is, it does. But you could also just say these are just kids that are like hurting adults, and and it's black and white, and it's in Germany, and they're just asshole kids. But like, does every sci-fi movie get to be considered now? Because it's like, well, don't you see they're different, like Shape of Water. The also-rans that year were Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, 
Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and three billboards. Starting with Call Me By Your Name, it was nominated for four Academy Awards. It won for Best Adapted Screenplay. Timothy Chalamet was nominated for Best Actor. Army Hammer was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. The movie is set in the beautiful hills of Northern Italy at an, an amazing orchard and villa for the summer. Rich people and old architecture and small Italian villages in the early 1980s and people are riding bicycles and smoking thin cigarettes and enjoying finer foods and not working. And it's a, there's archaeology, history, architecture, the music. There's, even if you have no interest in what the movie is about, if you just enjoy just that type of setting, sometimes watching a movie is like looking at a painting and it's unique. It's done really well. This movie is just really pleasing from that point of view. This is a, is essentially a love story between Timothy Chalamet's character and Army Hammer. Timothy Chalamet is a 17 year old kid. His dad, he's an American Jewish guy from New York who married a French woman. And his dad is this professor. Army Hammer is his grad student who comes over to live with them and study for the summer. And those two fall in love and have a relationship. It's just a really well done romantic drama. And it's very coming of age where people don't really understand who they are, what their sexuality is, dating around, trying to figure out what they're into, dealing with their problems, you know, getting attached to people and having these very strong romantic feelings. It's in the early 80s and they throw some 80s music in there. And I got to say, I really liked it. Sounds like a pretty aesthetically pleasing experience. Chalamet. So he he did it, huh? He brought it big time. He better bring it for Dune. A lot of people, a lot of people waiting. A lot of people waiting on that. <laughs> a lot of people are talking about it. Huh? <laughs> is it more visually appealing than Dunkirk? Dunkirk is a beautifully shot movie. Well done, lads. Well done. Well, we did it, survive. That's enough. But Since Insomnia, Nolan has had almost carte blanche on these panoramic shots. The movie is very, very micro in the sense of it focuses on like the apricots on the trees. That's statue, nice. Right? I like that. That's the, good. And it's not this like big epic, you know, scene of the Mediterranean and these cliffs. It's very small and focused in scope. Whereas Dunkirk, it's like it's land, sea, and air of epic proportions. Land. You know, it sounds like, you know, what? the way you're describing it, it sounds like those movies, the trip, but instead of comedy, it's romantic love, drama coming of age with that type of decadent backdrop of food, architecture. One of the things about it is, is so Michael Stuhlbarg is in both The Shape of Water and this movie. He's fantastic. Totally understanding of their son and totally supportive you know what you know i saw this scene where the dad was talking and i was watching scenes on youtube and just out of nowhere this scene with this michael stuhlbark the guy who played arnold rothstein i remember watching it being like holy shit what movie is this it was call me by your name look you had a beautiful friendship maybe more than a friendship and I envy you. My place, most parents would hope the whole thing goes away. Pray their sons land on their feet, but I am not such a parent. Wow. And, and, I, I'm going to watch it. And he, the, he's also in Shape of Water, like Mike said. And, and, you know, he's, he's very good in that too. Guy burst on the scene with boardwalk yeah out of nowhere i mean he was he was in stuff but you didn't you didn't realize it he's an arrival too people like him no doubt people like him my best movie from that year wasn't nominated surprise surprise it's a western hostiles was my favorite movie of that year you think that should have won best picture yeah i saw what happened to the fourth when yellow hawk and his dog soldiers got done with them (laughs) and there wasn't a don't you dare laugh. That's what I would have picked. Special nod to Wind River. I love that movie. Oh, that Wind one. River might have been the best movie that year. 
those two are pretty high on my list. Big fan of three billboards. I enjoyed Phantom Thread. I heard, I heard that Get Out is, is five star. It gets rave reviews. Probably the best movie of that year. I really enjoyed Get Out. I think it's a great movie. It is, it is a, it's a horror movie. Addresses so many different things about race and the plot deals with white old white people want to put themselves into young black people bodies you're you get lost in the suspense of the movie which it does really well the thing that spike lee always tries to do with his movie which is try to put the story above above the point that he's trying to make so that you will pay attention to the movie and then get his point and instead so many of the times spike lee ends up beating you over the head with the point at the sacrifice of the story and one of the, I think that's the thing that Jordan Peele did so well, and I think that's why he won the uh, Academy Award for, for Best Original Screenplay, was because he was able to address so many interesting things about race and society and age and class, throw all those things into a horror movie that was highly suspenseful, very well acted, well paced, I don't think it's the best picture of the year. My best picture of the year would go to Dunkirk. The only reason why this movie doesn't really connect with us is because it's uniquely British in nature. It's almost like I think if if British people are trying to understand uh, Lincoln, Lincoln, yeah, I, I just I just don't think it translates as well. I I really dug it though. I I like the way that Nolan told the story. Show me the flaw in that movie. It's not there. I mean, Nolan's a master, uh, no doubt. That movie was, was way tighter than some of his other things. Right. When we come back, we're going to be making our picks for next week. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talked. Tell the story you know. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. This is different. This is about something. I put up with your suicidal drinking. You're a compulsive gambling. You're a silly platonic affair. I gave you a second chance. A wealth and influence can crush a man. Are you hoping I might absolve you of such a personal betrayal? You made yourself court jester. Mank. Mr. Mankowitz. All right, so I have picked Mank for us to review. I'm excited. I'm going to pick an actor who's been in the news quite a bit and recently got whitewashed from any publicity for his recent performance, Shia LaBeouf. Shia apparently is in a movie called Pieces of a Woman and was getting some more critical acclaim for that. And, you know, they were going to promote him and advertise that he should be, you know, like we talked about the Harvey machine essentially in the machine for best supporting actor nominations. And they have completely taken that advertising campaign away based on the new allegations by several women. I I don't, I still don't really know, but I think we should get into some of the allegations that they're making against them. Matt said this before. I think this is what we're going to come to. He is as likable on screen as he is dislikable off screen. Matt, what year are we going to? 1942. We're going to stick with, with Mank and, Ooh, yeah. and take the year that Citizen Kane going into the way back machine all the way back to <laughs> 1940, 42. We Great Scott. On right. So that'll be exciting. But yeah. if we got to cover some of these things for the listeners and go Matt on, Mank. is taking us back to the 14th. Academy Awards. The winner that year was How Green Was My Valley. The also-rans were Blossoms in the Dust, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, Hold Back the Dawn, The Little Foxes, The Maltese Falcon. Great, great movie. One Foot in Heaven. I wonder where the other foot is. Sergeant York, Suspicion. Ooh, that's, that's directed by Alfred Hitchcock. And then, of course, the movie that did not win Best Picture, but is known as the Best Picture ever. Of all time. Citizen Kane. All right, everybody. Okay. (laughs) That's it for this week's In Camera Review podcast. Mike, Matt, and Logan. 
We are lawyers talking about movies. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. Thank you.